Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Faith. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met, welcome. So grateful that you're here. If you're joining us in the chapel or online, really grateful that you are with us for worship as well. Um, I feel like I need to address the elephant in the sanctuary. Um, last Sunday, I stood before you a little bit shaken up um, and uh, had just received a call from my wife that uh, our, she thought our dog was dying and um, grateful to uh, some of our security team who went there to be with her, uh, rushed him to the vet. He did end up passing away. And um, so I just want to say thank you to the many of you that expressed your uh, condolences to us and showed so much love to us. We are so grateful. And I think as Kelly and I have sort of walked this last week with our family, our hope is that um, you feel from us the same kind of love that we have felt from you. And so just really grateful for you. Um, and uh, the Lord did open up some doors for us to get a new dog already. <laughs> and so um, that either means that we're um, extreme dog lovers Gluttons for punishment or bad at grieving. And we will let you decide which one. There, is, there was a um, huge shaped uh, dog void in our life. There is no longer, but there still definitely is a massive shaped Louis void. So thanks for uh, praying for us. I'm not going to talk anymore about that or else I'll start crying. So. Uh, let's dive into our time together. If you have a Bible, will you open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me? You know, regardless of how hard I try, I cannot talk my wife Kelly into drinking good coffee. I mean, every single morning, I make a uh, either French press or clever brew glass or pot of really, really good single-origin craft coffee. It is one of the best parts of waking up. Folgers, not the best part of waking up, right? But that is, and I've offered to make it for her almost every single day, and, and she insists on just using the Keurig, and I don't get it. I don't get it. One day, though, I did run out of my coffee, and so I had to stoop to her level. And uh, <laughs> I went over to the Keurig. I opened it up, and what I found absolutely shocked me. Here's a picture of the K-cup that was in that Keurig. Decaf! Decaf! And so I sent her this picture in a text, and my text said, Warning! You have made a grave error. <laughs> Warning. And she wrote back, no, really? Oh my gosh, I didn't even notice that. Right? I just was doing my husbandly duty to warn her that she was not starting off the day right. K-cup is a bad decision in general, but decaf, that's on a whole new level. Right? And here's the deal with decaf. It tastes the same, doesn't it? It looks the same. But it doesn't work the same, can I get an amen, right? It does not work the same. And I think that there are a lot of people who have a decaf version of Christianity. Here's what I mean by that. That Jesus promised that his disciples would walk in power. 
He promised that his disciples would, would move in might. In fact, he told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And then he told them why they needed to wait. And here's what he said. He said, you will receive what? Say it with me, church. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the Holy Spirit is directly connected with the power in a disciple's life. See, Jesus was so convinced of this that he told his disciples, as recorded in John chapter 17, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, I think here we just have to pause and say, Jesus, how could it possibly benefit us that you're gone? How could it possibly be better for you to be away than for you to be bodily here? I mean, can we all agree that that, that is quite the statement by Jesus? Like, let's not gloss over that because we've read it a hundred times. Let's sit there for a moment. It's better, he says, for me to go away. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Do you know that two chapters earlier in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said that the Spirit will come and you will do greater things than I. Greater things than I. Now, let's pause for a moment and just acknowledge that many of us, have been around church for a long time. And so we read something like Jesus's statement here in John chapter 16, or we read Jesus's statement in John chapter 14, verse 12, you will do greater things than I, and we agree with him. <laughs> we have to. It's in the Bible. But let's just step back and ask, have we seen that? Have we experienced that? Greater things? It's better that he goes? I don't know about you, but as I read through the New Testament and see the church in the book of Acts, I have this haunting question. God, why, why don't our churches look more like that church? Is anybody with me? Like we're seeing people healed. We read about people healed by Paul's hanky right? That's in there. Uh, we see the dead raised. It's in there. We see God moving in might. We see demons being exercised. It's in there. And I don't know about you, but I read it and I go, Lord, I, 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 there's a bit of uh, discontinuity, disequilibrium. I, I'm a bit shaken when I compare what, what I've experienced to what I, I read about. Is anybody with me? Am I, am I alone in that? Sometimes it feels like there's been a rolling blackout for the church, right? Like we get that in California, right? The rolling blackout. Like the power's gone. Like we're drinking decaf. <laughs> and I just wonder if maybe there's a caffeinated version that's available. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Last week, we launched into this few-week season or study in this uh, portion of the letter that's all about the Holy Spirit. And last week we started in verse one and we reminded ourselves that Paul begins a section writing now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be what? 
uninformed. And we made the point that we must be informed about the Spirit if we want to be empowered by the Spirit. Like Paul says, like, it's not just an automatic download that you get when you, the Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell within you. You don't automatically know what the Spirit wants to do. And so Paul wants to unpack for the Corinthian church, even though they were filled with the Spirit, even though they knew that the Spirit dwelt in them, he wanted to inform them about the way that they should expect the Spirit to move in their midst. Verses 1 through 3 were sort of like the prerequisite class. And remember, he said the Spirit wants to lead, and the Spirit wants to point us to whom? Jesus, right? If you don't know the answer in church, just say Jesus, you'll probably be right, right? He wants to point us to Jesus. That was verses 1 through 3, and from there, we're going to pick up Paul's teaching, and he's going to inform the Corinthian church, remember, he doesn't want them to be uninformed, about what they could expect the Spirit to do in their midst. Verse 4, are you there? Wonderful, here we go. He's wrote this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, a a few observations. First, you'll notice this cadence that he's developing. There are varieties, but there's also the, the same. Varieties, but the same. Varieties, but the same. Varieties, but the same. And here's what he wants the followers of Jesus to know. That the same spirit who's at work in you is also at work in the person next to you, even if it doesn't always look the same. Because oftentimes, our propensity is to assume, God, if you're at work in somebody else's life, it's going to be in the exact same way that you're at work in mine. And we can get a little bit judgy, can't we? Why aren't you doing this? Why are you doing that? And I think Paul just wants to sort of level us out and go, no, no, no. It's the same spirit at work, but in different ways in people. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. That in this passage, Paul attributes the the power that the church has to the spirit, to the Lord Jesus, and to God the Father. Now, this isn't a proof text for Trinitarian theology. This is just simply to alert you to the fact that Paul is indeed Trinitarian, and he is thinking as somebody who is a monotheistic, Trinitarian-believing follower of Jesus. Here's the third thing. He uses three different words to talk about the exact same thing. And we're going to do a little bit of work to unpack these words because I feel like it's important for us to get a good handle on what Paul's doing here. And so here's the first word. The first word is, say it with me, church, gifts. How many of you have heard of spiritual gifts before? Okay, right. We develop assessments to try to figure out what kind of gifts we have, right? Um, Oftentimes we think that we have one or maybe more gifts, and it's a gift that we have from God that we always have from God. But here he uses gifts and service and activities interchangeably. This word gifts specifically in the Greek is the word charisma. Will you say that with me? Charisma. And it's used other times in scripture too. But not maybe in the way that you think of a spiritual gift. Listen to this spiritual gift. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. 
but the charisma, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Did you know that salvation is a spiritual gift? I mean, most of us wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, but my guess is that that's outside of the category that you typically imagine spiritual gifts to operate in. Here's the second word that Paul used. The second word is service. In the Greek, it's the word diakonos, or it's the the word that we would often translate deacon, diakonia. It means ministry. It's the same idea as spiritual gift. And then finally, it's the word activities. In the Greek, it's the word energemia, or energy, right? Power. So we have gifts, we have ministry or service, and we have power or activities. All the way that the Spirit is at work in the church in Corinth. And then Paul in verse 7, he sort of rolls it all up into one category, and it's fascinating the word that he chooses. He says this, to each, that means you, that means me, that, that means every follower of Jesus in Corinth and now, to each is given the, what, say it with me, manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the big roll-up category that Paul thinks of all of these gifts, activities, and service within is manifestations. I say that to point out that he isn't primarily talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about spiritual manifestations. That's his big point. And manifestation, let's just admit it, is sort of a strange word, is it not? Can we be honest with each other? How many of you... This word makes a little bit nervous. It makes you a little bit nervous, right? Like we've heard that word, right? There was a book that was written uh, a number of years ago called The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. It was a book that was based on the belief of the pseudoscientific law of attraction, which claimed that thoughts could change a person's life directly. You think something, and then you can manifest it. You can bring it into reality just by thinking about it. Now, the book sold 30 million copies. So even if the word makes us a little bit nervous, we at least have to step back and go, hmm, there's a little bit of weightiness behind that word. There's a bit of intrigue. 50 different languages this book was translated into. It was a massive hit a number of years ago. It made manifesting a very popular modern day notion. That is not what Paul's talking about here. Just so we're clear, Paul is not talking about us thinking something and then manifesting it. Also, to be very clear, the scriptures call us to think about and dwell on what is good, what is noteworthy, what is pure, right? What is praiseworthy. We're called to think about good things, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not talking about us manifesting something. He's talking about the spirit of God manifesting himself amongst the believers in Corinth. So we might put it like this. The Holy Spirit is not a power to wield, but a person to be revealed. The Holy Spirit is not a power to wield, but a person to be revealed. 
And walking in the power of the Spirit is not so much about the gifts that we receive from the Spirit. Walking in the power of the Spirit is far more about receiving the gift of the Spirit. Right? So it's not something we get from God. It's getting God. It's walking in unity with God. It's the power and presence of God on display in and through our life. Does does that make sense? Are you catching the distinction there? That when God moves in power through his spirit, it's not the gift that's on display. It's the giver that's being manifest. That's what's going on. This is the same word that John will use to describe what happened when Jesus was incarnate and born as a man. Listen to what he said. The very beginning of his letter of 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. Same thing that's going on with the spirit of God in the church at Corinth. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So when Jesus is made manifest, you can hear him, you can see him, you can touch him. And when the Spirit of God is made manifest in the church in Corinth, people stepped back and went, certainly God is in our midst. Certainly God is in our midst. And after laying this out for us, Paul will go on and he's going to unpack nine specific manifestations. I'm going to call them that, not gifts, because that's what he calls them. Manifestations of the Spirit amongst the church in Corinth. But before we go there, let me just give you a few, not disclaimers, but things that I think are really important for us to have in mind as we jump into this study. Number one is that this list of nine is descriptive, not prescriptive. Meaning that Paul wants to simply give them language to identify what God is doing in their church, not to say what he should do in every church. He's going, this this is the language you can use, and this is how you can identify how God is at work in your midst. Second, we're going to read nine manifestations of the Spirit that were present in their midst. And I do not take this to be a comprehensive list of spiritual gifts or manifestations, however you want to look at it. Now, what, I actually don't think we have a comprehensive list giving, given to us in the New Testament. And here's why I think that. There are four different passages that draw out a list of spiritual manifestations. None of them are uniform. They're not all the same. There's one that's included in every single list, and we're going to talk about that one today in a few moments. Not only that, but did you know that the very first time that we read about in Scripture, the Spirit filling somebody and empowering them for a task was when the Spirit filled Bezalel to design and construct the tabernacle and some of the furniture in the tabernacle? So so catch this, the very first time somebody is quote-unquote gifted by the Spirit for a task, it is not a preacher getting to preach, it's not a pastor pastoring, it's not a priest priesting, Uh, okay? It, It is a 
construction worker and an architect putting their hands to create something beautiful for God's people to encounter his presence in. Now that gift isn't included in any of the New Testament gifts. And neither are things like music or worship leading or a number of other gifts. All that to say, I don't think that the scriptures intend to give us a comprehensive list of the way that the spirit manifests himself among his people. So what follows are nine of the Spirit's diverse ways of being present with the church in Corinth. Now, this is admittedly going to be a little bit more teachy than preachy. Some of you may go, praise be to God. And if that's you, don't worry, I'll get back to preaching next week, okay? But I think it's important for us to really grasp these, what was going on. It's important for us. Verse 8, listen to the way Paul continued. He said this, he said, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. Now I'm going to draw out what I, what I would say are three categories for us to think about these manifestations within. And the first category that encompasses these first two is that the Holy Spirit is manifested through supernatural insight, supernatural insight. And keep in mind throughout all of these that this is ultimately for the common good. We just read that in verse 7. So this isn't the type of thing where the Spirit gives people the ability to know things about other people so that they can use it for their gain. He's not giving people the ability to discern the numbers of the lotto so that they can cash in. Okay? This is for the common good of all people in the church. And there's two ways it was happening. Supernatural insight was taking place in the church in Corinth. Here's the first, messages of wisdom. Messages of wisdom. And so wisdom is the ability to use knowledge for the correct purpose. And the manifestation of spirit-empowered wisdom is the ability to use knowledge for the right purpose. It might be knowing the right thing to say in a certain situation. It might mean knowing the right next step for a strategic plan. It might mean knowing spirit-driven knowledge of how to answer somebody who has questions about the faith or defend your faith or problem-solving. Now, just as a sort of side note, this spiritual manifestation does not get included in any other New Testament list that we have. But it's included here. And it's included first because the Corinthians had a desire for wisdom, didn't they? They had a longing for wisdom. Just go back and glance through chapter one. They longed for wisdom and Many of them built a platform on it. And what Paul's saying is, oh, oh yeah, spirit is at work in your midst, giving people messages of wisdom. Here's the second way, he said, through words of knowledge. Through words of knowledge. And a word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation from God that gives you details or information about a certain situation or person that you did not know prior to the revelation. And sometimes it's in pictures and sometimes it's a bit oblique in nature, but it's knowledge that you have from the spirit that you didn't have by just natural cognition. Does that make sense? 
Sometimes it refers to circumstances that are going on. Sometimes it refers to decisions that need to be made or questions that people are wrestling. The word points us to something that God wants to do for someone, and he often gives a word through somebody else in the body to nudge them and direct them in the right direction. This is what happened when Jesus was interacting with a woman at the well. He got a word of knowledge. That's an understatement. Okay? You might remember they're having this conversation back and forth. He asks her for water, and eventually the conversation leads up to verse 16, where Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And she looked at everybody and went, he's a prophet. You think, right? But it's a word of knowledge that Jesus has. God has tended to use words of knowledge in my life. Anybody else? In fact, and I've told this story before, so forgive me if you've heard it before, but it's an important part of my journey and Kelly and my journey in actually coming here to Emmanuel Faith. See, we were in the process with the search team and quite honestly had sort of one foot in, one foot out. We didn't want to leave the life that we had in Colorado, and yet we felt a nudging from the Lord. And it was at that point that somebody from my staff in Colorado came, and uh, we were having our normal weekly meeting, and she said to me, Ryan, I have one question that I feel like God wants me to ask you and one word that I feel like he's giving me for you. And I went, all right, lay it on me. She said, the question that I feel like God wants me to ask you is, what would it look like for us to accomplish the mission and vision of this church without you as involved? She said, God gave me that question at about 1 a.m. and I couldn't sleep. And then at about 3 a.m. in the morning last night, he gave me what I think is a word for you. And the word simply is release. Release. And I went, get out of my office right now. I don't know who sent you. No, I had told nobody at this point in time. And so I always tell people I'm not here because of a word like that, but I may not be here without it. That that's one of the parts in the journey that God used supernatural insight given to somebody else, a message to impart for us, a word of knowledge. Here's the next sort of category of manifestations that were taking place in the church in Corinth. Paul wrote, to another, faith. To another, gifts of healing by one spirit. And to another, working the working of miracles. And here we see that the Holy Spirit is made manifest through miraculous power. Through miraculous power. And he gets into three distinct ways that God was moving. The Spirit of God was coming to light, was being made known in the church in Corinth. And the first way was through faith. Was through faith. Now, every follower of Jesus has faith on some level. We have faith in God. In order to step into God's kingdom, in order to become a child of God, we need to put our faith in Jesus. So all of us have faith on some level. That's not the kind of faith that I think Paul is talking about here when he's talking about a spiritual manifestation of faith. I think what he's talking about here is also what he references in chapter 13, verse 2, the kind of faith that can move, anybody know? Mountains. 
That kind of faith. I think that's what he's referencing here. It's the kind of faith where somebody goes, I know this promise of God. I'm confident in the plan of God. I'm confident in the provision of God. And I'm going to step out even if it doesn't make sense. The spiritual manifestation of faith, I think, happens when somebody says something like, I don't know how I know, but I just know that I know that I know that God is going to move. Has anybody had an experience like that? Right? They step out and see God move powerfully. Here's the second manifestation of miraculous power that Paul lists. Healing. Some would say that this is connected to the spiritual manifestation or gift of faith. Certainly it could be, but maybe not necessarily. They're not linguistically tied together in this text. But here's the deal, you guys. The early church lived with the ardent expectation that God could and would heal people's physical bodies. They just simply did. It was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In fact, Matthew records for us one occasion when Jesus comes and listen to what happens. It says, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and she began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out their spirits with, with a word and healed all those, those who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our what? Diseases. That's Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant. That text we typically point to and we imagine it to be solely about God forgiving our sins and making a way for us to have relationship with him again. It is certainly about that. But what Matthew says, it's it's not only about that. That when Jesus came and he healed people's physical bodies and he drove out demons, he was, quote, fulfilling what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. That that prophet isn't, or that, that passage is not just about our spiritual forgiveness, it is also about our physical healing. And I don't know about you, but when we start talking about healing, I have about a thousand questions I want to ask God. Is anybody with me? I mean, I want to ask God, why didn't you heal my mom? I can assure you it wasn't for lack of prayer. Gosh, fresh in my mind, I want to ask him, why didn't you heal my dog? And about a thousand other questions that I want to ask him. And I'm not sure if the, I I am sure, the Corinthians dealt with the same questions. I mean, just look back to chapter 11, verse 30. It says that some have grown weak and ill and some have died. And yet, a few verses later, we read about the spiritual manifestation of healing. Evidently not for those people, right? So they're engaging this tension too. Let's not flatten the text to assume that they had a different sort of thing in mind than we do. They were engaging the tension. But it seems to me that the Corinthian church lived in the tension that while God does not always heal the way that we pray, it doesn't mean that he never heals. So they don't tap out and they go, well, because some got sick and some got ill and some died, we're done praying for healing. No, they're still seeing healings. They're still seeing the spirit work as the spirit 
leads and works and moves in their midst as he sees fit. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. Amen? And faith means that we simultaneously trust that God can do whatever he wants to do and that he's wise enough to know what he should do. I just have this sense that God is inviting us to pray more passionately, more expectantly, more consistently for healing. The Spirit lives in you. He may want to manifest, show himself through you. And just to be clear, this word charismata that is translated healing is plural. And what it means is it's probably not a permanent gift that one person has or that a few people have, but rather every instance of the spirit healing is a gift in and of itself. It's God on display. Here's the next manifestation, miracles, miracles. And while healing would certainly fall under this category, I think Paul breaks it out so that we don't limit the miraculous simply to physical healings. I, probably, he, I think he has in his mind things like exorcism and things like um, casting out of demons and things like strike, the striking of Elemis blind. Read about that one recently, Acts chapter 13. Things like the raising of Tabitha from the dead, Acts chapter 9, and other miraculous work. He is a God of miracles. He's a God of miracles. And here's the final category. Here's the final category. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretation of tongues. And here's sort of the big category I want to group all of these four under. And it is the Holy Spirit is manifested through inspired speech. Inspired speech. And there's four things that Paul draws out that are going on in the Corinthian church. Here's the first. The first is prophecy. The first is prophecy. Now, this is the only manifestation that is included in every New Testament list that we have. This is the one. And it seems to have been both a normal and vital part of the early church's life together. And remember, Paul's already made provision for both men and women to prophesy during worship gatherings. They simply had to be dressed differently when they did it. Remember that whole head covering business, how we solved all the world's problems, right? Okay, yeah. He's already talked about this at length, prayer and prophecy in the early church. And in the Old Testament, a a prophet was somebody who would speak on behalf of God under the inspiration of the Spirit. They would often announce judgment or salvation. And typically we think of prophecy as being some, oftentimes, um, maybe sort of like some sort of ecstasy or frenzy or mania, but that's not at all the way that prophecy is either lived out or described in the scriptures. Prophecy is simply a Spirit-inspired message intended for the edification or encouragement of people. It's a message given through the Spirit 
for someone else. And anytime you hear the word prophecy, you need to think of two things. Number one is forthtelling. This is going to happen. Or I sense the Lord saying this is going to happen. And to be honest with you, the percentage of prophecy in the scripture that is that kind of prophecy is less than 10%. Now, the other kind is what we would call forthtelling. Thus says the Lord. It might be in preaching the scriptures. It might be in prayer. It might be in a one-on-one conversation. It might be, I just sense that this is where God's leading and where he wants us to go. And this manifestation of prophecy seems to be available to all followers of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, we see that prophecy was a phenomenon that was given to everyone. Listen to the way that Luke recorded it for us. He said, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Certainly that happened at Pentecost. But I don't see anywhere in the scriptures that the implication is that ceases to happen. It seems to me, if we take the scriptures for what they actually say, that males and females, young and old, rich and poor, that all of God's people who have his spirit also are given the potential that the spirit would manifest through them in prophetic words. The next manifestation is in distinguishing of spirits. I like the way that Dr. Craig Blomberg put it when he said this refers to the God-given ability to discern if an apparently inspired speaker is ministering by the power of the Holy Spirit or by a counterfeit power. You may remember last week we talked about 1 John chapter 4, test the spirits. This is the spirit-given ability to do that in a way that is for the common good of all. Third, third, under inspired speech is the gift of tongues. Now, um, let's just point out the obvious. This is a bit debated, okay? Luckily, we're gonna have an entire, almost an entire chapter on this in chapter 14. So in a few weeks, just buckle up. I'm not gonna hit it all now. Okay, so if you, you don't think I cover it in enough detail, just wait, please, please. But there's two things when chapter 14 that Paul talks about when he talks about tongues, two things that we should have in mind. Here's the first, for one speaks in a tongue, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit, not to men, but to God. That sounds a lot like... What do we call it when we talk to God? Prayer. Right, it's prayer. But here's the second thing a tongue was for. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. (laughs) And you go, okay, well, which one is it? Paul, is it prayer or is it for evangelism? And I think Paul would go, it's both. It's both. The tongues for the Corinthian church were both for prayer and for 
evangelism. And there is a ton of debate, you guys, about the mystery surrounding tongues. In my opinion, it's unclear, at least from the scriptures alone, whether this was intelligible languages or unintelligible languages. I will point out humbly to you that tongues is contrasted with earthly languages in chapter 14, verses 9 through 12. So tongues versus languages we know, okay? So I tend to read this manifestation as a quote-unquote angelic tongue that Paul will once again refer to in chapter 13, verse 2. However, however, I'm not so sure how important that is. What's important is that the person speaking doesn't know what they're saying, and the person who interprets doesn't know the language naturally that they're interpreting. That's why it's a spirit-empowered gift, not a natural ability. So the point here is that neither speaker nor interpreter has previous knowledge of what the words mean. That means that what's going on in the church in Corinth is a bit different than what happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2, here's what we read. At this, the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, that's the gift of tongues, certainly, but we don't have the gift of interpretation present. They're going, that's Italian, or that's Arabic, or that's fill in the blank, right? They're going, I'm hearing it in my own language. It's a bit different than what's going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. More on that in a few weeks. But that brings us to the final manifestation, and it's the interpretation of tongues. It's the spirit-empowered ability to interpret a tongue for the benefit of the community, right? For the good of all. Now, it might be the spirit-empowered ability to understand Portuguese or some language that's spoken in the bush in Africa or by the underground church in China, or it might be an angelic tongue. Either way, it is not a language that the interpreter knows naturally. It's a gift given by the Spirit. And these nine manifestations were examples of how the Spirit made his presence known in the Corinthian church. All right, so how are we doing? We doing okay? I'm sure some of you are going, you went way too far, Paulson. I'm sure some of you are going, you didn't go far enough, Paulson. And um, in essence, my goal is to be an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> but I have this just haunting question. Spirit of God, do you, do you want to do more in our midst? Do you want to do more in our midst? You may have this haunting question. Sure, we read about that back then, but we don't see a whole lot of that today. Why is that? Has God stopped doing the same kind of things that he was doing back then? What Gordon Fee, one of the great New Testament scholars, would say is that there is no exegetical Bible reason for us to assume that. There's no biblical reason 
for us to assume that. And we may go, well, our experience doesn't line up with what the experience of the early church was. And I would say back to you, fair enough. I, I agree. I agree. But is it possible, is it possible that maybe, just maybe, we don't see what the early church saw because we don't have the same kind of relationship with the Spirit that the early church had? Is that, is that, is it possible? Is it possible? See, we are commanded in the Scriptures, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Do not quench the spirit and don't check your brain at the door. Fair? Like, like both, right? It's both. Test everything and hold fast to what is good. When was the last time you had to test a prophetic word? See, I think many people doubt that God does these types of things today, but I hope you don't doubt that God could if he wanted to. Right? So, Maybe just maybe we pray, God, we're open to whatever you want to bring. And we are expectant that you would move in power. And maybe, just maybe, it'll look like what it looked like in Corinth. And maybe, just maybe, it'll look completely different. But either way, it will be the Spirit manifested in our midst. That things would happen that wouldn't happen if the Spirit isn't here. Right? So Paul ends and he says this, all of these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He already told us for the good, but I love this, that the spirit works through each for the good of all. The spirit, the way that the spirit manifests himself through me is not about me, it's about you. The way the Spirit manifests himself through you is not about you, it's about me. And see, we are in this together, and I love the fact that God has designed us uniquely as a body so that we would need each other. We would need the Spirit of God in each other to help us to grow and ultimately move us to the good. And don't you love that God wants to move us to good? Move us to good for the glory of his name and for his joy for our joy as we walk with him. So friends, remember the spirit is not a power to wield, but a person to be revealed. A way for us to affirm certainly God is in our midst. And he reveals himself through supernatural insight, miraculous power, and inspired speech. May it be so in our common life together. So this week, would you pray, would you pray that the spirit would manifest himself through you and would you pray expecting him to answer that prayer? As an anonymous author once wrote, the Christian who neglects the Holy Spirit is like a lamp who's not plugged in. Or as another speaker once said, it's sort of like drinking decaf <laughs> when the real thing's available. Let's pray, let's pray. In fact, would you stand with me? Last week, we ended our time by praying this ancient prayer that the church has prayed, come Holy Spirit. And I just want to invite you to maybe just open your hands as a way to say, God, whatever you want to pour out, I want to catch.
And can we just close our time? Actually, we're going to sing the doxology, but can we close our time in the scriptures by praying this prayer together? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and make yourself known. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us with power. Come, Holy Spirit, and flood our hearts with God's love. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come in power. Do your work. Unify us for the glory of your name. Exalt Jesus in our midst. Remind us of everything that Jesus has taught. Give us words to speak when we find ourselves backed into a corner. Give us prophetic words to speak to one another that would be an encouragement. Heal people that are hurting in our midst. Put your power on display. Give us supernatural wisdom and insight and knowledge, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, manifest yourself in our midst however you choose. Empower us, we pray. In the name of Jesus. And all God's people together say, Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.